But you know what hasn't worked out for good uh, during the pandemic in the last two years? People's waistlines. Amen? It's safe to say that the amount of television consumed uh, and the required snacks that God has ordained to accompany said television time have not been good. Uh, Some of you have found out there actually is a bottom to Netflix, right? And so during that time, now we don't have cable, uh, not because I think it's immoral, it's because I'm cheap and so we don't have cable. And so I don't watch a lot of TV because when you don't have cable, there's not a lot to watch. But during that season, Netflix came through and produced a documentary called The Last Dance. How many of you watched The Last Dance? Yeah, some of you, so raise your hand. It's about basketball. Yeah, raise your hand. These are the people going to heaven, all right? Right? How do you not watch that? The whole nation was buzzing about this documentary and uh, give us a behind-the-scenes look of the Chicago Bulls team of the 90s. And so every week, we're treated to two episodes of what went down in, in the locker room, what went down at practice, and uh, then what also went down in the offseason. So lots of you did not watch that. Uh, so let me give you the cliff notes, all right? Uh, Michael Jordan and the Bulls won a lot of games and a lot of championships, and uh, MJ was also a huge jerk, all right? <laughs> That's the cliff notes of that. Uh, he'd probably argue, though, that, that being a jerk and being arrogant or rude and literally punching a guy in the face at practice uh, was necessary to kind of create the environment to win all these games and these championships. And listen, he does have uh, six championships. But my guess is, and certainly there's been some fallout from this documentary of some players who are on that team, uh, many of his teammates would probably say that, that he loved the game and he loved winning specifically more than he loved his teammates. It seems for Jordan it was more about rings and less about relationships. Well, as we continue our series in the book of Acts, what we're going to find in Acts chapter 20, if you want to turn there, is when it comes to spiritual leadership, character counts. The, the type of leader you are is more important than the results that you can produce. Uh, it should be both and and not either or. And so as you're turning there to Acts chapter 20, Pastor Tyler uh, shared with us as we're in our preaching meetings this week uh, something he read a, uh, in a book about spiritual leadership uh, which is fascinating me because I didn't know that Pastor Tyler could read, so, so the whole thing was just encouraging. And he said, listen to this. Uh, he said, uh, this is a, a quote from the book called The Art of Virtue-Based Transformational Leadership. And the author lists three questions followers are asking from spiritual leaders. Now, let me just say this right now. When we talk about leadership, and this passage is about leadership, there's a temptation to say, well, well I'm not a leader. Listen, leadership boiled down to its essence is nothing more than influence, And so the question is not if you're a leader. The answer is you are. The question is in what sphere are you leading in? Some of you are leading at work, and some of you are leading as coaches and teachers, and some of you are leading at home, and so everybody has influence. And so the three questions followers asking spiritual leaders, the author said, is do you know where we're going? Uh, The second question is do you know how to get there? And the third question is will you love us along the way? Now, most leaders... Uh, probably have an answer to the first two, even if they're bluffing, right? But the most important question, that third question, is a totally different question. Because that third question is centered around a leader's character and not just the uh, results of his leadership. The third question shows a leader who's more concerned with people and how they're being shaped over outcomes that those said people can produce. And that's why Jesus is the 
greatest leader who's ever lived. I don't care if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're checking this out or you're not sure yet. Listen, you cannot argue that Jesus was not, in fact, the greatest leader who's ever lived from the sheer metric of influence. Jesus' character was absolutely impeccable. He could answer yes to all three of those questions. Now, you and I are never going to follow a spiritual leader who is perfect. Now, here's the good news for you. You're about as close as you can get. Amen? Right? My wife's not here today, so I'm feeling lots of freedom. Lots of freedom. And while no spiritual leader is ever going to be perfect, listen, character matters. It counts. And so let's look at the type of people God raises up to lead the movement forward, the gospel movement forward here in Acts chapter 20. As the gospel continues to expand uh, here in Acts 20 and then the work that God is continuing to do in the world today. All right, so Acts chapter 20, we're going to look at the base passage at verses 17 down through verse 24. It says, now from Miletus he sent up to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they had came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit and not knowing what will happen to me there. This is astounding. Listen to verse 23. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So he said, I don't know who's going to be there and how they're going to respond or all the details of what's going to happen, but I have a general idea through the Holy Spirit it's going to be hard, all right? But I don't count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, Paul here in Acts chapter 20, the movement's going forward and Paul can't personally pastor everyone at this point so he's raising up uh, godly leaders and so here he's writing and speaking uh, actually to the elders at the church at Ephesus and the elders in office of spiritual leadership in the New Testament other places in scripture we see other terms for this office and role so we see the word elder uh, which is the word poime uh, or it's actually episkopos so that's actually uh, presbyteros and then we also see the term pastor which in the Greek is poime and then we also see the term bishop or episkopos in the Greek. So listen, it's totally biblical from this point forward if you want to call me Bishop Brad, all right? Totally biblical. Your majesty also works not nearly as biblical, okay? And so there's an interchangeable term here, uh, pastors and elders, and, and he's referring to spiritual leaders. Now, there has been a movement over the last several years in, in Baptist churches where they're exploring the role and the function of lay elders, non-pastors, that's a conversation we're exploring here at Liberty Heights, but there's no question that the role of office and elder and pastor are two words uh, describing the same office. And so for our time, just for clarity today, uh, I'll use the word pastor for the sake of clarity. So, But Paul here, his office is neither. Paul's office is elevated. He's an apostle. So he got all kinds of authority. Under his apostolic authority, he's modeling and instructing these Spiritual leaders, elders, pastors, bishops. He says, hey, here's what you should be doing if you want to play your part in the movement going forward, and here's the type of leader you should be. All right? And so let me just lean in 
uh, directly into the temptation this morning. Now, when I talk about, hey, this is a passage where he's instructing elders, bishops, pastors, whatever, whatever term you want to use, those interchangeable terms, there's a temptation. But you just say, hey, I, I don't care which of those three words you use to describe this office, I, I don't hold any of those terms, so this sermon is not relevant to me today, right? Well, here's the reality. It's relevant for everyone. Here, here's why. These character qualities and activities are required for pastors, but they should be aspired to for every Christian. Let me repeat that. These character qualities and activities for elders, pastors, bishops, they're required in Scripture for those fulfilling that office, but they should be aspired to for every single Christian. So that it's relevant for everybody in the room today, this morning. All right, so uh, let's look at two attributes of faithful spiritual leaders. Again, if leadership has influenced, everybody in the room is a leader this morning. All right, so the first thing is this we see in the passage is this, is that pastors should lead with integrity. An analogy I've often used when describing the life of pastors this is a pastor lives in a glass house. Now, do you know what you can see if you put a piece of glass over something and, and look at it through the glass? You know what you can see? Everything, right? There's nothing hidden behind glass. And so therefore, pastors should not be perfect, but they should live lives of transparency and integrity, uh, not only to the people in the church, but also people on the outside as well. Now, what I love about the scriptures is when it talks about the integrity of the life of those in spiritual leadership, pastors and elders, uh, it, it's not silent, We'd have to wonder and say, what does that look like? Well, this church, is, this is their job description. This church, listen, scripture is so clear. He says, hey, here's the type of person and character of a person who's gonna lead in the role of a pastor and elder uh, in a book that Paul wrote uh, called to Timothy. Now, here's what he says in 1 Timothy chapter three. This is what you're looking for, right? And what I found over the years is that different people in the church have a different job description for me that usually coincides with whatever their need is in that moment, Right? But here's the one from Scripture. Here's what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, and that, that word in the original language, it's also translated bishop. That's the oversight function of pastoral ministry. It's what episkopos. But he desires a noble task, so it's a good thing. Therefore, an overseer or bishop must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so they may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. So, so here's the thing. If everybody in the church goes, oh, our, our pastor's so great, and everybody outside the church says, I've ran into that guy, he's terrible. That guy's not fit for the office, all right? We could preach a whole sermon series on 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll probably maybe teach that book this fall. There's so much gold in there, but here's what I want you to hear from a high-level view when you read through that. The character of the person providing spiritual leadership is vital, it is paramount. It is a non-negotiable. And so what he's calling to is, hey, if I'm raising you up to lead in the context of the local church, and specifically here in Acts 20, the office of an elder, pastor, or bishop, your character is 
paramount because the danger is the character of Jesus may be misrepresented by your leadership. As you listen to that list of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, I hope you picked up on a theme that pastoral ministry is about who a person is more than what they can do. It's more about their character than it is their competency. Here's what he's saying. In the economy of God, if a guy can preach the, I mean, just can preach the lights down, but he's a scoundrel, God's not impressed. If a guy just gets up and you're like, oh my goodness, like he's just rough in the pulpit, he's not super skilled, and have a lot of charisma or leadership savvy, but he's a godly person. Listen, the economy of God, that's what God's after. And so when he describes this person, he says, hey, you gotta be a person of integrity is what Paul's teaching and certainly what he's modeling there as an apostle. Now, I don't know about you, but I go the rest of my ministry. I go the next 20 years, but after hearing a story of another high-profile spiritual leader whose uh, life and ministry is now in shambles, I, I can just rattle off name after name after name over the last uh, several years. And, and it, it's getting so common that, that we honestly shouldn't be shocked, but, but we are shocked. And often, when it's someone in a high-profile ministry, uh, we're shocked, and here's why. Here's, here's what we think. How could someone who's being used of God in such incredible ways with huge influence, someone's running the aisles, praise God, <laughs> preaching the lights down. <laughs> how, how can they have this incredible ministry and platform and then come crashing down so hard? I want you to listen close. As a matter of fact, if you're listening, say Amen. That happens when a person's gifts outpace their character. It happens when their platform for public ministry is growing faster than their personal devotion to the Lord. There's usually warning signs along the way in every one of these instances. And I've been listening to these stories the last several years. And, and somewhere along the way were there red flags and people say, yes, there were all kinds of red flags. But they get pushed to the side. And here's why they get pushed to the side. Well, God is blessing the ministry. So, so we don't want to interrupt clearly what God's hand and God's anointing. Let me just set the record straight. When a ministry grows large at the expense of the character of the people leading it, God is not blessing a ministry. A person is building a fan club. So let's not be deceived in thinking God's blessing that church. It's growing really fast and it's gotten really large. You know what else goes really fast in a body? And, and a body is one of the pictures of a New Testament church. Cancer. So just because a church is growing large and fast does not mean that God's hand is on that leader. doesn't mean it's not. That's not the indicator. Competency and charisma are not substitutes for character in the economy of God. Now, there's nothing spiritual about being bad at your job as a pastor. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians, he, he said, listen, I'm striving to build on the foundation of the gospel. I'm striving to be a wise master builder is what Paul said. Paul wasn't content to be a novice or an intern level builder for the rest of his life. So he says, I'm, I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm striving to be a wise master builder. But all of that is built on the foundation of integrity. My favorite quotes on character comes from James Merritt, he wrote a book this year, past year, uh, called Character Still Counts. And here's what Merritt said. He said, reputation is what other people think you are. Character is what you and God know you are. Isn't that great? What you and God know that you 
are. Now, for pastors and those in spiritual leadership, there's some pressure in the fishbowl, no doubt. No doubt. There are times when it feels like, if you're in ministry, uh, there are times it feels like there's no separation between your personal life and your public life. Uh, When I lived in the parsonage for a year on the other side of the parking lot, uh, one Sunday at church, someone said to me, I saw you out in the garage. What were you doing? And I just said the first thing that came to mind, I said, well, Tasha won't let me smoke in the house. And so I just sat in the garage. <laughs> I actually did say that, and we both laughed. But listen, there's, there's never a time where I'm out in public that I'm not the pastor. Never. And the larger a church gets, the more that tension has to be managed. But on the flip side of that, When pastors are living with integrity, there's nothing to discover when people peek inside the fishbowl to see what's going on. Look at what Paul says in verses 18 and 19. He describes his life of leadership in front of these Ephesian elders. Look at verse 18 and 19. He says, you yourselves know how I lived. Among you from the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with All humility. Here's what Paul's saying. You've seen my life. So we've been in a multi-site strategy for a few years now. We're we're committed to it, absolutely committed to it. And in the multi-site movement where churches have multiple campuses, there's a trend, and and most churches are doing this, where the the preaching is on a video. And so we started on this road. Someone said, hey, are you going to put you on a video every week? And I said, how beautiful would that be? They said, "Not, not not as impressive as you think. I had one guy say, I watched you on video, he said, the camera adds 10 pounds. He said, how many cameras were on you, is what he said. I said, you, sir, are not going to heaven, right? And I said, we're, we're, we're not, and I'm not throwing rocks at those churches. We're not. Here's why. Because you can't see a person's life when they're on video. They need to be living in flesh among you. Why? So you can see that his life matches his doctrine. And so Paul says, hey, You know how I lived. And when they peeked into the fishbowl of Paul's life, what what did they observe? A man of deep humility. Look at verse 19 again. Verse 19, he says, I was serving the Lord with all humility. Now, sometimes we get the definition of humility wrong. Sometimes we think it's self-abasement, right? Like, I'm terrible. I'm so humble. Sometimes we think it's just a person who's quiet or shy. That's not humility. That's an introvert. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It just means thinking of yourself less often. And so in the context of spiritual leadership, what that means is Paul said, hey, I'm not doing what's best for you or best for me because if I were doing what's best for me, I know the Holy Spirit's told me that every place I go and preach the gospel, pain awaits me. But I'm leading with humility, so I'm not thinking of myself that often. I'm a spiritual leader doing it the way that Paul's modeling and instructing these Ephesians elder today. He says, hey, at the end of the day, I'm making decisions that are in the best interest of the people that I'm serving. And so Paul's modeling this integrity, which required for all spiritual leaders and certainly for pastors. But then in verse 20 and 21, he tells us that not only is there personal integrity in his life, he says, hey, since I stepped foot in Asia, you've seen my life, right? Like it's played out in front of you. But he says there's ministry integrity as well. Look at verses 20 and 21. 
In verse 20 and 21, he says this. He said, I did not shrink back from declaring anything to you that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. And so when he says, I, I didn't shrink back from teaching anything that was profitable, we, we don't have to wonder what Paul was teaching. Paul's teaching the scriptures. And, and the question is not what is profitable in the scriptures. The Bible actually answers that question. Here's what the, the Bible says. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration means God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Which scriptures? All scriptures. And so if pastors are going to lead with spiritual integrity, it requires the teaching, the whole counsel of God's word. Not just the parts that are positive and practical and encouraging, the whole counsel of God's word. Go down to verse 27. Paul reiterates again, there's, there's integrity in my ministry, not only in my life, but in my ministry as well. And so verse 27, Paul says, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so if you've been coming here for a while, you, you at some point maybe have heard us say the phrase, hey, here at Liberty Heights, I don't care who's in the pulpit, we don't teach around tough verses, we teach through them. Why? Because it's our responsibility, if we're going to faithful shepherd the flock of God, to teach the whole counsel of God's word and model what Paul's modeling for them and not shrink back from anything. Because it's all profitable. And so Paul's describing the content of his speech, the Ephesian elders he says, listen, both the Jews and the Greeks, here's what Paul's saying, I don't care who's in the audience. I'm gonna teach with integrity, not, not for the response of the people, but I'm gonna teach for the glory of God, and I'm gonna call them to repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Can, can I just tell you that preaching repentance is not popular now, it wasn't popular then, but Paul said, hey, there's integrity in my teaching. I'm not shrinking back. Now, let me just say this openly. We're not doing everything right here at Liberty Heights Church. We're learning, we're growing. There's so many things we need to work on. But any pastor who's afraid to teach the unapologetic, the whole counsel of God's word should go do something else. And he shouldn't be angry, and he shouldn't be harsh, but he shouldn't be apologizing either. This is what Paul says. Hey, if you're in spiritual leadership, don't shrink back. There should be integrity in your life. People see your life. There should be integrity in your ministry, your teaching, whether you're in someone's house, whether you're in public squares. You don't shrink back from teaching the whole counsel of God's word is what he's described there. And Paul's desire is to live as a man of character outpaced his desire to, to draw a crowd. When you start preaching things that are hardly, you start calling people to holiness and repentance, guess what? That didn't sell tickets. It's this idea that, well, lots of people are coming, so I know God's blessing it. Listen, that doesn't line up with the ministry of Jesus. John chapter 6 says there are just huge crowds following Jesus around. And around verse 60, down through verse 66, these crowds are following Jesus around. And Jesus lays down the gauntlet and says, hey, if you're going to be my disciple, this is the cost of following me. I know there's a lot of benefits about being associated with me, seeing some cool things. I've healed some people, but this is the cost of being a follower of mine. And the scripture says around verse 65 or 66, and from that day forward, many people walked with him no more. And so preach the whole counsel of God's word. Let Just trust Jesus to grow his church. And so pastors are build lives of integrity and 
that the Lord build his church integrity in his personal life. Verse 18, 19, integrity in what he teaches. Verse 20, 21, 27. And competency is more important than charisma. And charisma is never a substitute for character. So here's the second quality of a godly leader. So number one, pastors should be leading with integrity. Okay, number two, pastors should pay careful attention to people. Now, if you ask any pastor in, in the world, you know, why are you a pastor? They, they may give you lots of answers, but, but somewhere along the way, they're going to say, hey, I want to serve people and I want to help them follow Jesus. And listen, that, that's honorable, that's commendable. You know what often happens to, to pastors? You know one of the reasons that roughly 250 pastors are leaving the ministry every single month? Let me give you a statistic. Out of 10 pastors who enter pastoral ministry at some point in their life, two of them retire as a pastor. Two out of 10. And so what happens? What, 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 is all this, what are these stats connected to? In many instances, they fail to take care of themselves. Some have allowed the pressures of ministry and the unhealthy expectations to, to overwhelm them to the point they sought refuge in sinful pleasures. Others have spent time and energy building a platform or a following at the expense of cultivating their own soul privately. But either way, they've neglected caring for themselves spiritually. I enjoy reading and studying on the subject of Christian leadership. I, I love it. I try to read everything I can about leadership in a Christian context. And I'll never forget, I was reading the testimony of a pastor who was on the other side of an adulterous relationship that had cost him his ministry and, and here's what he said. These, these were haunting words. Here's what he said. He said, I got so burned out trying to grow the church and be everything to everyone that my emotions were so depleted that they needed a jolt. Here's what he said. So I gave them one. What's Paul say here in verse 28 for spiritual leaders? Look at verse 28. Paul says, pay careful attention to who? yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained or purchased in some translations with his own blood. Did, did you catch that? Did I catch that? First, he said if you're going to be in spiritual leadership and pastoral ministry, pay careful attention to who? Now, if we ask the church, well, what's the pastor's job to care for the flock, care for the flock, care for people, all those kind of things. But, but Paul here says, hey, if you're going to do this the right way, he says, first, pay careful attention to yourselves. If you've ever ridden on an airplane, uh, then you've heard the instructions that if the oxygen mask come down, you should put yours on first, right? Now, when they come on, I, I don't even ignore that. You know why? Because that's what I'm doing anyway. Amen. Like, I was some strange, like, I was really going to help you first, right? I mean, I'd help Tasha. I just want to say that. I would help her. Well, now, why do they say that? Put yours on first before you help anyone else. Here's why. You're not very helpful to anybody when you're dead or unconscious from lack of oxygen. Now, let me just say some things, and we're just going to pretend for just a moment here that I'm a guest speaker, and I'm not the pastor preaching about pastors and what they do and what they shouldn't do and all those kind of things, all right? Let me just step outside of my office here. We all, can we just be honest? We all like the picture of the actual pastor and celebrate the idea of the plane going down. And there's some survivors in the survivor's 
tell the story of a pastor who died from lack of oxygen because he refused to, to pay, put his own mask on and he's just taking care of everybody else on the plane. Like, can we just be honest? That'll preach, amen? Like, listen, I even know what verse is being used at that guy's funeral. Greater love hath no man this. He laid down his life for his friends. But can I just tell you that's not a biblical picture of ministry? And there's a reason that Paul says, hey, pay careful attention to people, and that's plural, and the first group in that plural designation of people is yourself. Biblical picture ministry is where pastors are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, not personally doing all the ministry at a pace that requires them to neglect their own souls. I was reading a book on leadership one time, and the guy was leading a huge ministry, tens of thousands of people's coming, and he said, I got to the place where the pace at which I was doing the work of God was killing the work of God in me. And so Paul's counsel is very clear. Pay attention to yourselves and to the flock. It's not either or. It's both and. Paying attention to the flock is what gets you good performance reviews, but not paying attention to yourself is what puts guys on the ministry sideline for a season. Now, let me just give an open shout out to our admin team over the past two years of trying to lead through a pandemic. So pre-COVID, we're running 1,100 and trending up, and then early on in COVID, everybody's freaked out. Uh, There were some Sundays, we, we didn't even crack 400. And all during the last two years, you know, our admin team never once asked me about any performance metrics. They never asked about the attendance. They never asked about the offering. They never asked, about, you know what they asked me over and over? How are you doing? How's our team doing? How can we come alongside of you? How can we encourage you? How can we build you up? And so I'm grateful to God for those men and women in their leadership and care for me and for our team. That's what a healthy church looks like. And then he says, hey, if you're, because if you don't, Pay attention to yourself, then you can't care for the rest of the flock. That's the second half of verse 28. So so what does that look like practically? What does that look like? So it's not an exhaustive list of the work of a pastor, but it is a faithful one. Uh, So let's start down at verse 35 and kind of work our way backwards. In verse 35, Paul's describing, hey, here's what it looks like to shepherd the flock. And verse 35, he kind of gives this summary statement. He says, hey, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So he's pointing them to the words and the model of Jesus Christ. And so what he's telling us, hey, as a pastor, you should be pouring out your life on behalf of others. That's what Christ did for us. And the primary way that a pastor shepherds the flock and pours his life out on others is, is not through pastoral care. Listen, that's what the body does for each other, caring for one another. There's all kinds of scripture that. The primary way that a pastor shepherds the flock is through teaching. As a matter of fact, when you look at the list of qualifications from 1 Timothy 3 between a pastor, elder, bishop, and that of a deacon, there's only one difference in those two lists if you put them side by side, and it says a pastor is apt or able to teach. It's the only difference in those two lists. And so Paul says, hey, pour out your life for people Pour out your life for people. And the reason you have to do that is because false teachers are gonna come in and try to deceive people. Look at verses 29 and 31. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, 
Remember that for three years, I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. Now, what is admonishment? Admonishment is teaching that is corrective in nature. But he says, so I wasn't afraid to say corrective things, but I did it with tears. He was gentle in his approach, even though his words might have been hard to hear. In verse 32, he says, I commend you, God, in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Listen, if you're looking for a church, or you're, you know, let me just say this. Don't, don't go to the church that's got the music that you love. Right? Like you can listen to any song you want in the car. Don't go to the church that's got the best children's ministry, the best student ministry, because your child should not be making the spiritual decisions for your family. It's called a child-centered home. Go to the church where someone's standing up in the pulpit week after week after week after week declaring the whole counsel of God's word. You know the best children's ministry in every church? It is a well-discipled, transformed parent. Now, it should be either or. It's not like, hey, the preaching's great and everything else, terrible. But he says, hey, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock, how? By giving them the word of his grace which is able to build you up. And he had to do it in such a way that he was not greedy, verse 33. He was not lazy, verse 35. He was compassionate towards those who were spiritually weak, verse 35. And if a pastor's gonna do that week after week after week for 30, 40, 50 years in some context, he had better pay attention to himself or else he will not be in a position at some point to pay attention to others. He will either burn out from exhaustion or blow out from immorality. And on top of that responsibility to shepherd the flock and pour his life out, listen, God has given pastors and elders and bishops spiritual authority. That's why he uses the term overseer in verse 28. That is repeated in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. This is Tasha's life verse, by the way. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Come on. Come on. For they're keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. And so there's, not only you pour your life out week after week, not only you let them look in the fishbowl and see if you have a life of integrity, not only you not shrinking back from teaching the whole counsel of God's words, becoming less and less popular, but you have a mantle of spiritual authority on your life. Now, Let me temper that, because this has been my experience. Not everyone likes the idea of pastors or elders or bishops having authority or oversight in the church. But listen, that's exactly what the text says. That's exactly what it says, okay? But I want you to hear me clearly, all right? Everybody look up here. You show me a pastor who's giddy about his authority, I'll show you a pastor who's ignorant of his responsibility. Pastors shouldn't be gloating about, you know, every now and then someone comes up to me and they, you know, they they start a conversation off with this kind of phrase. If I was the pastor, which I only know is going to be a great time sharing together when they start off with that way. And there's a temptation to say, you're not, I am, you're not, you know, that kind of thing in your mind, playing that kind of thing out. Listen, when a pastor understands the weight of that responsibility, he shouldn't be gloating about his authority, he should be trembling. You know, the easiest thing to do is walk out here and preach every week. Not because I'm good at it, because there's no, like, just walk out and preach. People like it, people don't like it, whatever. You know, it's hard exercising spiritual, pouring your life out to people, exercising spiritual insight, walking into people's lives when they're sitting and saying, hey, I'm gonna call you back into repentance. That's hard. 
And a pastor, every pastor who is spiritually abusive gets two things wrong. Yes, God's given him a mantle of authority, but there's a way he should be approaching that. Look back at verse 28. What's it say? Verse 28 says, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So every pastor who takes that God-given authority and is spiritually abusive with it, guess what? He's made two mistakes. Number one, he thinks it's his church. Every now and then someone will say, hey, is that your church in Liberty Heights? Absolutely not. I'm not responsible for any of those heathens. Amen? <laughs> Jesus is the senior pastor at Liberty Heights Church. I'm the under-shepherd. Listen, at the end of the day, I'm the interim pastor. Right? Before you get too excited about that, you're interim members, okay? So number one, the pastor thinks it's his church. Verse 28 says, this is the church of God. He owns it. And the second mistake he makes is that these are his sheep. No, no, no. Verse 20 is very clear. These sheep were purchased with his own blood. And so if you're a pastor, you think, listen, I'm going to get up there and beat my sheep. They're not yours. And I'm just going to tell you every now and then, I'm just being totally honest. I'm feeling it today. Every now and then it feels good to beat the sheep, all right? Every now and then the shepherd gets hungry for lamb chops. Amen? <laughs> but you know what I found to be a generally bad idea in parenting? Is spanking other people's kids. <laughs> I've wanted to though, praise God. <laughs> right? Like I've told you many times, I feel called to the ministry of surrogate and spanking. Right? You're in public somewhere, you won't whip that kid. I'm going to whip him for you. But it's a bad idea. You know why? Because they don't belong to you. You know what happens when a pastor gets on his high horse about the authority God's given him and thinks, I'm going to beat the sheep? He forgets they don't belong to him. He's going to give an account, Scripture says, of how he shepherds the flock. We're out of time. And so what? So listen, I don't care how great your pastors, I don't care how much you love our pastors. Let me just let you know a little secret. All of our pastors are crummy saviors. We can't fix your life. We can't, we can't fix all your problems, bind up all your wounds, but here's the good news. Jesus can. The pastor every week should get in the pulpit and no one should leave saying, our pastor's great, but everybody should leave saying, Jesus is awesome. And living in the tension of that authority and that responsibility while living in the fishbowl is the reason it's crucial. And Paul said, pastor, pay attention to yourself. If you're unconscious, you didn't put the mask on, you're of no good to anybody else. And that's true for everybody leading, and everybody in this room is leading in some arena. And so here's the question, leader. Does your life have integrity? I can't tell you how many times I've talked to children, adult children, in counseling where they said, my parents were one person at church Totally different at home. Or how many times I've had people say, that person goes to your church, I work with them. I'm totally surprised they go to any church. And so leader, does your life have integrity? Does your life have integrity? And leader, are you willing to take the authority that God has given you, whether it's parent, boss, whatever it is, and use that to pour out your life and serve other 
people. And ultimately, when you do that, guess what? You represent the good shepherd well. And the gospel will continue to go forward, both to our neighbors and to the nations. Would you bow your head this morning? I want to ask you a hard question this morning. Everybody in the room has influence. So everybody in the room is a leader. And why it's required of pastors, it should be aspired to by everyone in the room. And here's the hard question. Is there anything in your personal or private life that if it were made public would ruin your influence as a leader? I'm going to give you a minute to think about that. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Is there anything in your personal, private life that if it were put on display publicly would forfeit your influence as a leader? And if that's you right now and the Spirit of God is convicting you Listen, that conviction is an act of God's mercy because he's calling you away from destroying yourself. And so if that's you this morning, would you confess that to the Lord? It means would you agree with God about sin? Would you quit making excuses and justifying why it's okay and God understands that? Would you just confess that to the Lord and say, Lord, I've known this for a long time. You know it. This is sin. Would you not just confess it, but would you have a genuine desire to turn away from it? Repentance. And would you receive today the forgiveness and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that flows out of repentance? Church, there's too many people reach, too many people impact with the gospel for any of us to be on the sidelines from a lack of integrity. Would you pray right now and say, Lord, for the people that I lead, my children, people at work, people on my team, whatever it is, would you pray right now, Lord, help me to serve them well. Help me not to lord my authority over them. Help me to serve in a way that would honor Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this morning that we would realize that why this is required of pastors and elders and bishops that, God, these spiritual benchmarks should be aspired to from all of us. And so, Lord, may we be people of integrity as we join you in the movement. May our personal life and our private life and our public life all line up. May we not shrink back from sharing hard truths in a culture that resists it. And, God, may we take whatever influence you've granted us, whatever sphere that is, not lord it over people, but serve people with humility. And God, at the end of the day, may our character, not our charisma, not our competency, may our character glorify the Lord Jesus Christ because people are watching. And so, Lord, do a work in our hearts that shows up in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.